Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. We are in season five of our podcast, which follows the story of Wilds of Eldraine. The Magic Story Podcast recaps the fiction story behind the card game Magic the Gathering. And all of these fiction stories we talk about here are available on mtgstory.com. Also, if you just want to listen to the audiobook version, either before or after our recap today, you can also find those YouTube links right at the top of each Wilds of Eldraine story on mtgstory.com. Natalie was the voice for today's episode. So on that note, today we're talking about episode four of the Wilds of Eldraine story titled Ruby and the Frozen Heart by Kay Arsenault Rivera. If you like our characters, Kellen and Ruby, as much as we do, you're in for a treat today. This episode is all about their adventure. Join Join us as we head into the multiverse. All right. So for a quick recap of what has happened so far in our season, we are in the plane of Eldraine, which is the plane of fairy tales and whimsical magic. Will Kinrith, a familiar planeswalker in magic, has ascended the throne of Eldraine after his father, the king, fell in the Phyrexian invasion. Will's twin sister, Rowan Kinrith, meanwhile, doesn't agree with his ascension, and there is a rift forming between them for the very first time. Eldraine is plagued by a sleeping curse called the Wicked Slumber. It's spreading rampantly through towns, cities, villages, all across Eldraine. More and more people are falling into a wakeless sleep. Rowan, determined to find the truth and eradicate the Wicked Slumber from their kingdom, sets out to Castle Ardenvale. Here, she meets Ashiok, the Nightmare, a planeswalker capable of manipulating people's dreams to extort their worst fears from them who is working alongside the witch, Ariette, who had cast the world to sleep using her magical glass apple. The reason, however, was to save Eldraine from the Phyrexians, and it had worked. So Rowan decides to stay and learn more from Ariette and Ashiok, an alliance of sorts. Now, meanwhile, we've been following the journey of a young hero named Kellen. He's half fae and has never met his father, and he's very curious about his blood. When he's tasked by the fairy lord Talion to take down the three witches responsible for the wicked slumber, and in return, Talion promised they would let Kellen know about his father, Kellen leaves his tiny village behind for the first time in his life and sets off into the wilds. Along the way, he meets Ruby, and together they had fought off the first witch, Agatha, by dumping her into her own cauldron, which was amazing, rescuing Imodane the Pyrohammer, a renowned fearsome knight and the wolf knight, who just happened to be Peter, Ruby's brother. In order to hunt down Hilda, the second witch, Kellen and Ruby had to travel to Stormkeld, the giant's castle in the clouds atop an enormous beanstalk, and to do this, employ the help of the renowned adventurer, Troyan. The three of them nearly get eaten by a giant goose, but luckily, Yorvo, the giant king, welcomed them, and showed them to the mirror of Indralan, which revealed the location of the witch, Hilda. They discovered at the end of our last episode that Hilda has created an icy fortress at Loch Laurent, and Ruby knows the way. So we start off today's episode right where we left off. Kellen and Ruby return to Edgewall, the city where they had met and started off their adventure together. After their harrowing adventures in Dunborough, 
from fighting off witch stalkers to defeating a witch who eats people to climbing a giant beanstalk and nearly getting eaten by a giant goose in Stormkeld, Kellen is grateful to be back into relative safety and normalcy. Except it's not quite normal in Edgewall. The wicked slumber has now spread through most of the population. The violet hue of the slumber when Kellen was here last was just a smattering of a few people here and there, but now he describes the streets as flooded with it like rivers, the victims beyond counting. Even Ruby is shocked. They carefully make their way through the violet mist. Remember that the wicked slumber spreads if you touch it, so they're literally hopping between the shrouds. They're really careful not to let it touch them. And while they search for anyone left awake, there's an important conversation that Ruby and Kellen have. She calls him a hero, but Kellen quickly rebuffs it, claiming, My mother always tells me that if I act like something I've done is no big deal, everyone else will too. You're just as heroic as I am. And Ruby dismisses this, claiming Peter is the real hero in her family. Raising your little sister all on your own and being the best hunter in town, that's a real hero. To which, and I... So love this. Kellen says, I think there are plenty of ways to be a hero. Peter's one, but so are you. And I'd like to be one someday too. Aw, Kellen is just really growing up. Kellen from two episodes ago when he first met Ruby, trying so hard to pretend to be a hero and deep down very insecure in himself, he would have never talked like this. What do you think makes a hero anyway? Ruby asks him. A hero is someone who always does the right thing. Someone who makes other people's lives better. Which, to Kellen's point here, I just have to agree with his statement that there are many different ways a person can be a hero. A hero doesn't have to be a great warrior or a gallant knight. It makes me think back to the disagreements between Rowan and Will. Both of them are trying to be heroes in their own right. The way they think is the best way, and neither agrees with the other's cause. Will is trying to be a good king, addressing the needs of his people by spending hours writing letters and trying to unify the realm through peaceful means. Doing what he knows is right, despite what other people call him, despite everyone, even his own sister, doubting him. Rowan, on the other hand, is doing what Rowan does best in her headstrong, confident way. She's confronting the issue and saving everyone through sheer will. But what is right in her mind, I think, is getting distorted by what Ariette and Ashiok said to her last episode. I think that's why we're beginning to feel worried, and if you're me, frustrated with Rowan. She is deviating from the heroism as Kellen defines it. To her, it might seem like the right thing, keeping people safe by putting them all to sleep, but she's missing the second part of Kellen's definition. Someone who makes other people's lives better. Putting everyone to sleep isn't making things better, it's keeping them the same. Eldraine will never be able to heal and move on from the Phyrexian invasion if it's asleep. And I wonder if that's indicative for what Rowan, deep down, doesn't want to confront in herself. It's easier to go to sleep rather than face the trauma of what she is struggling to heal from, the death of her family. Okay, y'all, we just witnessed Natalie go full literature major mode right there. Um, But I just want to add to this a different perspective. I think that to Rowan... This is making people's lives better because they don't have to choose. I do agree with you. It's completely tied up in her like inability to confront her own demons because to her right now, I think she would love to be in in the slumber. Honestly, like I think that yeah. 
she would be she wouldn't have to worry about anything. She could just let Will do what Will wants to do and be happy. But no, she's here and awake and she has to take charge. And so to her, I think that there is this like release. And it's almost like with Phyrexia, right? Where we saw some people like wanting to go over to Phyrexia and you ask yourself like, why? Why would you ever do that? That is clearly the wrong answer. But Rowan, let's keep in mind, as you mentioned, Natalie is being manipulated and the Mm -hmm. truth is being twisted. And it's partially because she doesn't want to confront what's going on. Oh, totally. The the comparison between the wicked slumber and phyrexianization is a great one. I think we had seen it many times last season where there was even a moment where Chandra was considering it because she wanted to be with Nyssa. I think there is a sort of a same yeah. duality going on here where, where Rowan might think it's the easier option. And she, like, like you said, Harless, I truly think from Rowan's perspective, it is what is best. It is what is better. But, you know, I, I just can't help but think Kellen would completely disagree with Rowan's, yeah. with Rowan's approach to the Wicked Slumber here. Um, so anyway, I couldn't help myself. I went full literature major mode. We'll go, we'll go back to the, we'll go back to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was fascinating and really insightful. And it really goes to show the power of the story of Eldraine. It might come off fanciful and whimsical and all about fairy tales, but like any great fairy tale, there is a deeper message going on beneath all of that. All right, so where were we? Oh, yes. Kellen and Ruby meandering through Edgewall, trying not to touch the wicked slumber. They make it to a small cabin at the edge of town where a plume of smoke from the chimney indicates that someone is inside. And it turns out to be Peter, Ruby's brother. And together they talk about the plan for going to Hilda's castle next. Peter insists that when they can no longer fill their noses, they have to turn back. And I'll read this from the story. I've heard about that castle, he said. No one's managed to get to the center. Not the other hunters, not the bandits. Sir Imadane tried it before she came here. In her opinion, it was an easier thing to brave the wilds than it was to walk more than 40 paces across the drawbridge. And she with that fiery magic to warm her. But Kellen insists that he can't turn back now. Not after everything. They will press on and try to get into Hilda's castle. Peter gives him a fine coat of wool to keep him warm. And the wool was from Orinshire, his home, so Kellen wears it proudly. The three of them, Peter, Ruby, and Kellen, go to a puppet show that night put on by the children. And in the art piece from the card from the Wilds of Eldraine set, A Tale for the Ages, it's a white enchantment, you can clearly see that the puppets are reenacting Kellen and Ruby as they defeat Agatha. I thought this was such a cool homage to Kellen and Ruby's adventures, like like meta within the card set. And I couldn't help but think to myself, it's like, you're still doubting you're a hero, Kellen, even though there are children putting out a puppet show of him defeating a witch. And I just, I absolutely love the flavor text on this card. It's just oh, so it's good. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Do you want to read it for us, Harless? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. With every retelling of Agatha's demise, Kellen got taller and Ruby got stronger. But the core story stayed the same. And people remembered what happens to those who prey on the weak. So good. And it's just an inspiring tale for all the children of Edgewell now. And that's just, oh, that's so cool. Like Kellen grew up hearing stories of heroism. (laughs) And here he is being the center of one of those stories that just... 
I, I agree with you, Natalie. How can you doubt that you're a hero, Kellen? You're clearly doing heroic things. You defeated, you defeated one witch already. Like that's incredible. Okay. So we fast forward a bit in time to about a week later where Peter, Kellen, and Ruby have traveled all the way to Loch Laurent. Now, Peter stops a short ways from the lock to make camp, even a full day's travel away. It is so cold that Kellen must hop from foot to foot to keep warm. In all his winters, he's weathered only two days colder than this, both in the bitterest months. He and his family huddled up with the sheep so that no one would freeze. Deep down, he wondered whether it was possible for someone to freeze at all. It seemed a thing that water did, or perhaps beer, but never people. He wonders less about that now. And Ruby says that Peter is still recovering and insists he stay behind while she and Kellen try to penetrate the castle first. And Peter agrees, wishing them luck. And Ruby and Kellen set out the last little ways to the castle itself. And I'll read this from the story. Everything else in this place is blue, green, or violet. The sky above is marbled with all three colors swirling over each other like the layers of a noblewoman's cloak. Beneath the frozen surface of the lock, eerie blue lights bob and weave, vying for their attention. Kellen thinks he sees a pair of yellow eyes under the ice, but a moment later, they disappear. Most striking of all is the castle. Seeing it through the mirror is one thing. To lay eyes on it in person is quite another. Kellen had no idea how large it was until now. The main tower stands on a cliff overlooking the lock, but whoever designed it could not bear to stop there. Madness struck the unseen architect, gates leading to new fortresses, drawbridges to nowhere, a never-ending series of baileys, each giving way to a new gate. Kellen counts five portcullises alone. Kellen summons his courage and steps across the path leading to the castle all laid with glittering crystals. Ruby remarks that this feels different than their other adventures so far, somehow, and then goes on to say that if Kellen achieves this feat, Storming Hilda's castle and defeating the Ice Witch, he'll be the toast of the town. But Kellen isn't so sure about that. Being half human and half fae made him feel like he existed between worlds and not fully a part of either. Not human enough for the humans, not fae enough for the fae, and it isolated him. And right when he's trying to think of something to respond to Ruby, a woman's voice calls out to them, carried by the wind. Knights. Bandits and would-be kings have failed to walk this path. Two children have little hope of success. Turn back. Then the sky darkens into a massive blizzard, the wind tearing at their cloaks. They aren't giving up that easily, though, pulling their hoods over their faces and pressing on. And then the witch continues. The brave live short lives. Do not think your age will earn you any mercy from me. Turn back. And the air grows colder the blizzard fiercer. Hilda's magic is relentless until all they see is a veil of gray and white around them, and they force themselves forward against the wind. Kellen notices Ruby's nose is red. Surely she cannot feel it anymore. And Peter's warning flashes through his mind. But Ruby and Kellen refuse to let the witch win. They don't turn back. Even when Hilda continues to warn them to turn back, else they will die. Instead. Kellen and Ruby press onwards. In the distance, Kellen spots the faintest hint of blue a mile away, if not more. The blizzard brings with it icy creatures hurling spears at them. 
Blue streaks towards them, the glass-like spear landing at their feet. The snow solidifies into pieces of armor, a warrior of frost, and summons a new spear in their hand. This spear they hurl at Kellen, which catches the corner of his Orinshire cloak and pins him to the ground. He can't move. The cloak won't give. Ruby shouts at him to ditch the cloak and run, but Kellen can't. The cloak is from his home, and I can absolutely relate to Kellen right here in that the cloak has immense sentimental value to him. He can't just leave it. And I also add that he'd freeze without it. Oh, yeah. I, I really relate to that, too. Like, I'm literally sitting in a room with my great great grandmother's vanity chair. <laughs> as, we all like, have that thing. That yeah. thing that we can't let go that just is, is too personal to you. It means too much. It's like your heritage, it feels like. And that cloak came to him at this important moment, right? And it felt like, it it had to have felt like his mother wrapping her warmth around him, you know? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, this does cost them. Because another frost warrior had formed. And he picks up Ruby right off the ground, pointing an ice sword at her throat. Kellen is quickly panicking thinking to himself, this isn't how it's supposed to go, and starts to doubt again that he has any magic whatsoever to stop these Frost Warriors. But the Frost Warrior is readying a blow. It will kill Ruby if he does nothing. So Kellen murmurs once, Dad, please, and reaches for the basket hilts behind his back. And this time, golden light cuts through the blizzard, a power surging through Kellen, pouring from him that feels bright as spring, and this power changes the hilts into blades of light, sharp as thorns, conjured by his own desperation. Acting on instinct, Kellen doesn't waste any time. He lashes out at the first warrior holding Ruby, and the light blade slice through its arm. There's a card from the set called Kellen's Light Blades. It's a white instant card, and it captures this moment perfectly. And the flavor text on Kellen's Light Blades reads, Kellen struck out on pure instinct and his conjured blades cleaved through the icy guardians as though they were nothing but air. And this picture is just so, it's the first moment that Kellen is embracing not only his heritage, but he has power within him. You know, this was this was magic from his fey blood that was able to be summoned forth just out of sheer will from, from Kellen. So it's just a really cool moment to be to have that captured on a card. And I love that it's so, it's almost a blur. Like this moment is almost a blur in the card, which has to be how it felt for Kellen in the story, right? Like all of a sudden it works. And in the in a flash, he's like able to defend Ruby. And so the card itself is like very motion focused and very almost blurred um, in how fast it happens, which I thought was really cool. It really goes to show that like those little little moments, little bitty instances can be life changing, even if it's just two seconds, right? Oh, yeah. So freed from the frost warrior, Kellen catches Ruby as she falls. Ruby rejoices. Kellen, you're doing it. Faye Powers, you're really doing it. I am, he says. The frost- I just imagine him being like, I am. Like, yeah. like just I this just moment, imagine that right? line is like I am. so intense. Like he doesn't believe it either, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's how I read it too. So the Frost Warriors, armless after Kellen had lobbed their arms off, flee the scene after that. Ruby picks up one of their fallen ice weapons and stands back to back with Kellen. But Kellen begins to feel his eyes grow heavy, a wave of sleepiness and cold sweeping over him. He can't keep his eyes open, and then he falls. Ruby cries out his name and catches him. 
And now it is Ruby who carries Kellen on down the path through the relentless. And now it is Ruby who carries Kellen down the path through the relentless blizzard. Carrying Kellen, cradling him in her arms, she remarks that he feels fragile, like the snowflakes might break him, and he doesn't wake up. And this is when Hilda speaks to her again. Take him and go home. But Ruby does not. She walks forward, one step after another, trudging through the snow and the wind, carrying Kellen. She knows this quest is bigger than just she or Kellen or Peter. Hilda continues to try and convince Ruby to turn back, saying things like, you owe him nothing and he is small and weak. Abandon him and you may yet reach me. But Ruby does not listen to Hilda. Ruby feels like she's breathing glass, her steps immensely heavy, her strength waning, but still she presses on. Keep talking, she gasps to Hilda. I was getting lonely anyway. Hilda is relentless in her winter storm. She does everything to prevent Ruby from persisting, but still Ruby walks. You know what I think? Ruby shouts to the wind. I think you're lonely too. That's why you keep taunting me. You don't get to talk to people otherwise, do you? To which Hilda only howls out, Leave! The skeletal gates rise up before her. How long has she been walking? It feels an eternity. She turns and surveys her tracks over the frozen wastes. Peter said that was the easiest part, getting to the outermost drawbridge. It was crossing it that killed. When she turns back to the drawbridge, she can see them, lumps beneath the blanket of pure white snow, bodies kept hidden from sight. She and Kellen will be so small as to escape notice if they end up like that. Even Peter wouldn't be able to find her. Turn back when you cannot feel your nose, he said to her. He made her promise. In truth, she hasn't been able to feel it for some time. Ruby steps onto the bridge, keeps going. Hilda calls her a fool, but their banter, where Ruby just talks back to her, it continues. And finally, the witch insists, why? Why? You have no reason to. You would abandon your life because, and Ruby responds, because it's the right thing to do. Eventually, Ruby can't even walk anymore. She collapses to the ground in the snow. But still, she keeps trying, throwing Kellen across her back like a backpack. She crawls her way forward. Holy smokes, Ruby is tenacious. Yeah, Ruby is the friend you want in a storm, clearly. No kidding. And she carries on because she knew Kellen wouldn't give up. She believes in herself. She keeps going, reaching blindly through the snow, and finally, finally a palm reaches out, a crystal bracelet gleaming on their wrist. It's Hilda, the witch. I mean you no harm, says the witch. And then Hilda kneels next to Ruby. Ruby remarks that the witch seems sad. No amount of white finery, no heavy winter crown, no magic can conceal the loneliness in her pale eyes. And the weather clears right then to just a gentle snowfall. And then Hilda speaks in really soft-spoken tones, telling them that they should sleep. And when they wake, they will have the truth. A sleeping spell washes over Ruby. The moment Hilda comes out from her shroud of ice and snow to approach Ruby and Kellen herself, is this beautiful piece from the set on a card called Break the Spell. You can tell something about Ruby's steadfastness changed Hilda, particularly from the flavor text of the card as well. The flavor text reads, As Hilda watched Ruby drag Kellen's unconscious form through the cold, 
Hilda felt something she hadn't felt in a long time. Compassion. The two, Ruby and Kellen, wake up a few hours later inside Hilda's castle, surrounded by plush blankets, warmth, and a banquet of food laid out on a table in the room. Kellen leaps for the food right away, but Ruby holds him back. And this is when Hilda steps forward into the room, claiming she wishes them no harm. And if you, like me, were wondering about this crystal bracelet, girl, I got you. This crystal bracelet is like icy shards poked up. Everything about the jewelry that she's wearing from her crown to her pauldrons on her shoulder to this bracelet is regal but wild. And that really describes Hilda. She has this long, long dark hair, a dress of white and blue, a translucent cloak that looks like ice, like spikes of ice. They're decorating her crown atop her head as well as her shoulder pieces and just the immense blue white staff that she has in her hand. And the card that I'm talking about is Hilda of the Icy Crown, by the way. There's also a crown called Hilda's Crown of Winter that just shows her ice crown, which is stunning. I really hope some of our cosplayers get the memo on this crown here. Like this is absolutely stunning, but her face is clearly pained. And I love how the artist somehow captured this character to appear ferocious in her expression, but looking at her, you know, it's out of this isolation, not out of inherent meanness. Like she doesn't look cruel. She, she looks lost. And I love the flavor text on the card, Hilda's crown of winter that you had just described. And I'll read it for you. With each day she wore the crown, her icy kingdom spread and her heart grew ever colder. It's so good. Ruby then asks if Hilda plans to eat them, to which Hilda responds, I see you've met Agatha. And when Kellen tells Hilda that he threw Agatha into her own cauldron, Hilda seems pretty unbothered. In fact, she even tells him she deserves no less, which that's her sister. So ouch. Yeah. And from here, Hilda goes on to explain to Kellen and Ruby that she had always seen herself as different from the other two witches, the other two being her sisters, Agatha and Ariette. And she truthfully is not hostile, rather being candid with them. She wants to help. It's shocking for Ruby to see that Hilda had returned the entire surrounding landscape back to its original beauty before she had put that wintry grip on it. The blizzard, all of Hilda's isolation and mysterious danger, it was all out of loneliness, of not being understood, which is the story of the Ice Queen from the fairy tale. So this is so cool to see it personified in magic. This is not the first time we have seen a fairy tale kind of retold in with a magic twist. And I just absolutely love this retelling. Um, It was like, I'm with you, Harless. I absolutely love this version of the Ice Queen. I think it's really cool. So Hilda, the Ice Witch, offers Kellen and Ruby a gift of information. And this information is this. The three witches, Hilda, Ariette, and Agatha, did not create the wicked slumber alone. That was beyond their power of three. They needed four, but obviously their sister had died 20 years ago, which we had found out their sister, like last episode, was Rowan and Will's true mother. So the fourth person to help make the wicked slumber happen, this information Talion kept from Kellen. So Talion was not truthful with Kellen at all, were they? Well, Faye cannot lie. Talion was truthful in what they did say, but they didn't tell the whole story, which Kellen is realizing and he's he is not happy with Talion. Hilda gives Kellen her crown 
this beautiful helm made of ice spikes, both elegant and fierce, as proof of her quote-unquote defeat. And Kellen is so mad at Talion that at the end of the episode, when Talion summons Kellen again into the Fey Realm for the final hint to the last witch, Kellen throws Hilda's crown at the base of Talion's feet and snarled, you lied. Talion, however, is unmoved. They just say, your father's spirit is at last showing itself. And they go on to confirm they do know Kellen's father. They hadn't lied about any of that. And I will tell you what I know of him if you complete this quest. Or will you refuse to save the realm because you do not like the reason it is being saved? Really poignant question there, Talion. The Fae are always so cunning. Anyway, even though Kellen is clearly distraught, Talion gives him the final clue to the last witch, which is this. You shall find Ariette at Castle Ardenvale. Defeat her, and you will end the curse. End the curse, and I will tell you of your father. Or do not defeat her. Return to your pastoral home, and never again come as near to belonging as you did when you embraced your heritage. The choice is yours. A wave of the wand. The Fey world flickers and fades around them. Once more, they stand on the cliffs outside Hilda's castle. And Kellen? Kellen begins to weep. Oh, I wonder if Kellen just feels betrayed because Talion kept this information from him. I just think Kellen is is really at a a little bit of a crossroads because feels like he can't trust Talion and the reason for his quest. Like Kellen has such this big idea of what a hero is, right? And he had this idea that he's going on this noble quest to save the realm. And he still is on a noble quest to save the realm, but it wasn't quite as clean or as benevolent as he was led to believe. And I think Kellen is really struggling to, to kind of come to terms with that and accept that. And I think that's I think that's the reason why Kellen's having such a hard time with all of this, why he's so upset. It's like, I just think he realizes that his quest wasn't what it seemed at the beginning. Well, I think over the course of this big quest, he's losing that childlike innocence that we all have or had at one point, And we all grow out of, we all learn too much about the world and our sense of wonder and magic kind of goes away. Our sense of trust kind of wanes and we learn that you can't trust everybody. And I think this is the first time that he's really feeling betrayed. He's feeling Mm -hmm. a lot of these feelings that really help to take away that innocence and force you to kind of grow up. And I hate that for Kellen. I love it because he's growing up, but I hate it because he is so innocent and so kind and so deserving of being told the truth, but that's just not how people, especially the Fae, that's just not how they operate. Right. And Kellen has such this noble, sweet idea of what a hero is. And he wants to be that person. He wants to be the way that he describes a hero, a person who's always going to do the right thing and makes other people's lives better. And he truly thought that this quest was going to do that. And and it's just, it's having to let go of that, like you said, Harless, that innocent almost naivety of of believing people at face value and the fae have never been like that so i think kellen's just coming to a harsh realization also that he is half fae and this is a piece of who he is and i don't think he likes it and that has to be really really hard to to have to come to terms with yourself as well Well, on top of all of it is the fact that he's searching for his father, not the other way around. Does that make sense? So like as someone who grew up without knowing my father until I was 18, 
you always wonder why aren't they looking for me if I'm yeah. looking for them? Yeah. And I wonder how much of Kellen is over here thinking like, man, I'm unwanted by the humans. I'm not fully being accepted by the Fae. They're lying to me. Like I thought I would just go visit them and become one of them and they would feed me straight, which they just don't do. And also, does this guy even want to see me? Does does my dad really want to be a part of my life? And if so, like what's taken him so long, right? Yeah. So I yeah. think that there's a lot of emotion happening in Kellen right now. And honestly, I think I'd cry too. <laughs> I think I would as well. And what we found out here at the end of the episode where the three witches weren't the only ones responsible and the, the episode really wasn't clear who that f- fourth person was. All we know is that Talion helped make it happen, either directly themselves or they employed the work of somebody else um, to help the three witches create this wicked slumber. I guess we're going to find that out in the next episode, maybe over like how all of this kind of comes together, because we can tell that all of these events are going to start to come to a head. And we know what's waiting for Kellen next episode, which is the crazy part. Don't forget that you can read this story for yourself at mtgstory.com. Also, if you just want to listen to the audiobook version of Wilds of Eldraine, you can find those links at the top of each web fiction story. And as we mentioned, each of these episodes is actually read, narrated by myself or Natalie. So you can listen to us literally telling you the story of the Wilds of Eldraine. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It means so much to us. More episodes are right around the corner as Kellen continues his hero's adventure. And this time... We know what awaits him at Castle Ardenvale. We'll see you next time, but until then, have have a magical magical day. day!